Somebody's family. It must be somebody's. What um, you know? We don't get anything for sponsorship, but who? who uh, it's a rum chiata. Rum chiata, like horchata. Yeah, I guess right. so. Rum chata. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's tasty. It's creamy and it's rummy. And it goes. And you know, well. honestly, I have discovered that I'm not quite as big a fan of rum as I thought. As I feel like I should mm. be. But yeah. This really works. Yeah, I don't. I don't drink a lot of rum drinks outside of like the tropical ones mm-hmm. you know, like a Mai Tai any, any, oh, no, no, any no, no, no I like a Mai, a mai Tai yeah, yeah. yeah but, but I'm not I'm not big on rum and coke you know I never have been right and it, you know and it does have to be in the right glass although there's a coffee mug so I, I allow that that, that, yeah. that works and yeah. uh, I you know I feel I mean well yeah this is why my feet are webbed so uh, this is Derek McCaw editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com and welcome to the fanboy planet podcast we've got a, a jam-packed episode tonight so even if you're listening to it by day, tonight we're getting wild. Across from me, uh, running the board and making everything work smoothly, and even when it's not working smoothly, he's smooth. Taming the wild, I'm Rick Brett Snyder. Mm. We'll get that t-shirt made. Yeah. Yeah. Taming, Taming the, the wild. wild. Is yeah. there a G in there? Taming. Taming. Taming the wild. With an apostrophe. It's, yes. it's actually a surname, Taman. Tame, oh, totally I'm, different. I am Taming the wild. Ta- My brother, Philip the wild. <laughs> oh, are you related relation to Brandon DeWild, the star of uh, Shame? No. Oh, rats. Okay. Well, as I said, we got a lot of stuff going on tonight. We got uh, we got a couple of interviews for Cinequest, and we're very excited about that. Which is Cinequest opens on March third. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. No, I. It really uh, February just went. Foom, and by the way, you January know what it went is. Away, foom, we usually do the uh, the Cinequest show a couple of weeks ahead of time, not a week ahead of time. I got news for you. I think it was sort of still technically almost. A no, week, we, we usually do it like weeks four ahead. weeks ahead of time. Well, Gallifrey won. Yeah, Gallifrey. You know, no, curse that Gallifrey. <sighs> Not at all. Uh, Gallifrey still stands, and even though it tries its best, so do we. Anyway, uh, so we we've got some of those. We got comics news. We got movie news. We got TV news. But first, I do want to of course say uh, if we talk about anything on the podcast tonight that you would like to own for your very self, and you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store, each and every page on Fanboy Planet, including of course the podcast pages, includes a search box for Amazon. Sometimes direct links to items we talk about, and you can go through there and through the search box any purchase that you make through Amazon. We are affiliated, and we get a very tiny, small kickback, so that does help support Fanboy Planet. And if you would just like to help defray the cost of running a podcast and running a website, you can go to PayPal and donate a small pittance at editor at fanboyplanet.com. Or large pittance. No, no, no. You know what? Times are tough, and I, I am grateful for anything that anybody 
wants to give. I just look around and and when I feel like oh, I haven't given enough to another, show, you know, if you really feel more like there's a there's an actual nonprofit instead of a no profit organization that uh, that deserves your money better. Please do, as we've often talked, yeah, like sure. like CBLDF or or the Hero Initiative, or the Red Cross, or you know, there's going to be a lot of needs in 2020. Sorry, I'm getting that sense, you know, and that's why we're that's why we're here to maybe take your mind off it. So sorry to drive your mind into it. Anyway, uh, and of course, that's uh, once again that's PayPal at editor at fanwayplanet.com, and it's also a way you can join the conversation. If you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, enjoy the interviews you're about to hear tonight. Uh, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Follow us on our Facebook page, which is Fanboy Planet. Sometimes there are photos uh, and posts that are not on the main uh, site. As well, you can follow us on Twitter at Fanboy Planet. You can follow us on Instagram at Fanboy Planet. Often movie posters and movie stills uh, show up there before they show up on the site, too. So follow us there and join the conversation. Really enjoy hearing from you. And it's just not enough time has passed since the release of our last podcast to the recording of this one, so no one has written into it. Which, on, on the, the other hand, one. no one's really, I has not been outraged by anything that that I said, or Mike Rabel said, or Rick Reschneider said uh, in the last two days. I think the podcast has been out since Tuesday night, maybe? Monday night. Monday morning. Monday night. Mon- uh, Tuesday morning, I think. Yeah. So uh, I just know that I that I edited the text Late, late, late Monday night. But it was late for me. I was I was in another part of the country. Right. Uh, so anyway, so we do have. We say our top stories tonight are interviews uh, from. We have first up tonight uh, one of the films that will be making its world premiere at Cinequest. It's a film called The Mimic, a comedy that is inspired by a true story, which is about a local, a small town journalist who meets up with a guy he calls the kid and the journalist only refers to himself as the narrator it's thomas sadowski as the narrator and actor jake robinson as the kid and he believes that jake robinson the kid is a sociopath and it's about the two of them basically verbally sparring through their lives in the small town and it is hilarious and so uh really looking for and full chock full great actors in there jessica walter from uh i want to say the bluths uh, that's not the right uh, arrested jessica Development. walter from um uh, play misty for me yeah but i know that's where you were going no uh, i wasn't going there i was going archer archer yes from archer uh there was also and, I, and and in the interview that's coming up i forgot to ask there's a fifth generation or but the granddaughter of keenan win which means uh, also the great granddaughter of edwin the great comic from from Disney films and vaudeville. So uh, a five, fifth generation act, actress, she's very good in her in her role. Uh, Gina Gershon is in there. There's plenty of people. It's like one of the, on like every corner of this movie I turned, went, oh, I recognize that character actor. And, and, and the dialogue is just crackling. It's hilarious. I'm really looking forward to seeing this again. So there we go. Without further ado, writer, director, Thomas Maziotti and actor Jake Robinson, a.k.a. The Kid, from the Cinequest world premiere, The Mimic. So we welcome uh, one of the stars of The Mimic, Jake Robinson, and the writer, director, and I. you'll probably fill in other jobs that you did on this, Thomas Maziotti. Uh, yes, sir. Which is, this film is, it's not making its world premiere 
at Cinequest, but it, it will be one of the centerpieces of Cinequest 2020 in San Jose. So welcome, and I'm going to throw out there first to, to Tom. What was the inspiration for this film? Well, um, well, first of all, it is the world premiere, uh, Rick, uh, on this. So That was um, Derek. So. That was it. Oh, I, I should speak higher. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the, I, I, uh, I, I was on this newspaper, this town newspaper in the town I still live in. And uh, I did run into this very interesting character that I uh, I just had to do something with because I, I, you know, once in a while um, you find something, you say, I just got to do something with this. So two years later, you know, here we are. And that, that's really how it came about. So this interesting character, I, I will turn this over to to Jake. This is, this is Derek asking again. Jake, it's uh, you're brought in for auditions. You are told you're potentially playing a psycho, a sociopath. Um, mm-hmm. What were the sides like? What was the audition process like for you? You know, it was actually really interesting. This was a super roundabout, unconventional process because I got. Um, asked initially to do like a reading of the script and to play this part um and so it wasn't really an audition i think it was just kind of like tom was feeling out the the script and the story and it was kind of a reading to potentially like interest people interest financiers or get people in the industry interested in it so uh casting director just kind of reached out to my reps and asked me if if i wanted to do this and i thought the script was fascinating and um so i went and did this kind of random read through of it and I didn't really know what to expect and then afterwards um I guess I I, I did an okay job because Tom was um <laughs> suitably <laughs> impressed by the read and well and then we continued to had further conversation about the script and and over the course of what Tom like a a year a year and a half before right. it actually yeah so and, we just continued to talk about it and really related to it and we got together again and I and I read some sides with him and just to kind of, I guess, give some clarification and confirm what he was already feeling from the read through. And I just kind of came on board to the project at that point. Yeah. I think it's important to note that in all the stuff I've done, this is the only time I never had anybody else read. When I met Jake, I said, if the five minutes is that's him. So, you know, I, I told the casting people said, there's no, that's him. That's what I, I saw when I read it and that's what I, I want. And, and I got him. Yeah, because I am a sociopath. So. <laughs> well, that's that, that's good to know. I hope we're not in the same LA neighborhood. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so for for either of you or both of you, then you've had a year, year and a half development as you're getting to the point of production. How did the kid, the character that that Jake plays, how did it evolve from that first read through to what is now on the film? This is for me, right? Either one. I mean, the director has a point of view. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, honestly, it was, it's kind of a, it was a, it was a tough, a tough script to fully understand because I think there's so much in it. There's so many layers. Tom is such a smart writer and director that he's built in so many different pieces, uh, nods to various, um, parts of cinema throughout history, uh, complicated dialogue. And so I think, I just kind of went for it initially, and then I did read some books, um, one that I actually gave to Tom to read as well. Um, what was, what's, the name, what was the name of that book, Tom? Uh, are you talking about The Sociopath Next Door? Or? Yeah, that one, yeah. yeah. 
So I read I read some books. I, I did some some study, and I, I definitely did a lot of research about sociopaths. But I think one of the things about being a sociopath that I discovered is that is that you don't think of yourself as a sociopath. You just sort of right. think of yourself as like. Uh, more equipped to handle situations because you don't feel certain mm-hmm. pieces like certain empathy about different things but that's not necessarily like not all sociopaths are psycho killers and generally actually it's, it's, a lot of them tend to not be a lot of them I was gonna say what's the percentage successful. what's yeah. the safety rate on yeah. this <laughs> i don't i don't know generally what happens is for what i read at least is and that's not what this story is about and this might be a total diatribe diatribe but Basically, sociopaths that become serial killers are people that feel like they should have more power than they are because being a sociopath doesn't mean you're necessarily a genius. So you can be a complete idiot and be a sociopath and then be frustrated by the idea that you're not successful that you than you actually are, and that's when they tend to get a little violent and crazy. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it got a little dark, but okay, go ahead. Um so, so from your perspective, Tom, you know what what changed for it? Well, you know when you when you write with somebody in mind, and when you write a script and you see a face in front of you, it's it's easier. It's also easier, Rick, when you're totally disgusted because disgust is funny. So after going through this whole process and trying to figure this kid out, I got sort of disgusted that I can't, I couldn't figure it out, and that's when I started to write it. And when I wrote it, it became more clear and clear to me exactly what this game was. So, like I said, like the first scene is verbatim. I don't want to ruin it, but what happens in the first scene depicts exactly what happened in real life. And then, and then, really, some part, that is funny. Exactly. So that. So when I saw that, that I'm telling you for a reason because when you see a visual like that, you realize you have to do something with it because it's just you know you know that does just just it's not does not just it just doesn't happen in in normal life when you you know when involving this animal so uh um so that's how it started but i gotta tell you it was pretty much the end result the script was very specific and these guys you know hit these notes because it was it was all in the script and the better a script is the the easier it is to film You'll notice that there's not one curse word in the picture, not one. It's because the characters are, they're well thought out. So, you know, when I think characters are well thought out, there, there's no reason to, to have that sort of language. And there's also, it would ruin the rhythm of how much, there's such a high intellectualism, and I don't mean that to be sound scary. It's just that dialogue is so smart, all of it. Like it's almost oh, no you. room to breathe. Yeah, uh, it really <laughs> is. And so I'll take that challenge. I, I, before the interview started, I, w- I was saying to Tom, it reminded me of watching, uh, okay, really the front page. And I'm trying to think MacArthur and Hecht, is that who, who wrote that? Or, you know, but even what? at the speed you went, uh, of course, His Girl Friday is the ver- is the version people might remember the most. But I, I'm also thinking it's got the the wit and the speed of good Oscar Wilde or, or Noel oh, Coward. You. you know, so were those your influences? You know, is that – What's driving you or just thinking, you know, this is just the way you're going to write? Well, the 40s for sure. Patty Chayefsky for sure. Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, The, uh, you know, this kind of this kind of dialogue you don't hear much anymore. And I'd love to see it, you know, come back. That's the way people talk. (laughs) Especially on the East Coast. Not that consistently smart. Do they really? I got to move that. Uh, They're they're pretty. Yeah. (laughs) In your neighborhood, for sure. 
Yeah. Well, well, and Jake, how was that? To, you know, I mean, because in some ways you're like the counterpoint with with because there's a, a long bit where it's like you're being accused of only two word sentences, so you kind of get to slow it down just a little bit. It's a great counter, but you know, what was it like for you uh, with with your previous experiences? Wrapping your mouth around around the speed of this dialogue and 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 the the wit of this dialogue, it's it was totally unique to be honest. I I never really, I never worked on something like this. I mean, a little bit I'd done actually Oscar Wilde back in in, uh, in conservatory and theater school, but I mean this this was uh, wholly unto itself, particularly because we were doing long takes, like long takes without cuts, and so as an actor, you just kind of, you just had to go for it. And thank, thank goodness. I had Thomas Sadowski opposite me, someone who has worked on stage. I feel like it almost had like a little bit of a theatrical quality in the way that we went about it. Um, and he was just so game and so ready just to like go for it. And so I think we both just kind of, we just both kind of went for it and, and ended up working out, um, on screen. We had a a good chemistry and it, it, we worked really well together and, and thank goodness for that because, I really think the piece kind of was going to live or die on getting two actors that were really able just to, to spar with each other and to get after it a little bit. And, and that's what happened. Luckily. Uh, we also Rick, by the way, we shot 14 pages in one day. That's so in that restaurant, that restaurant scene, because I like to use, the, and that was the first day that that was the first day. Cause I got to see what I'm dealing with. So, you know, uh, the... Uh, well, let me back that up just a second. The restaurant scene, which is a bravura piece, that is uh, with also the great Gina Gershon. I'm just throwing that out for Rick. Uh, Gina Gershon is, is in there as well. Um, right. That That's where you started shooting. With No, the first scene was the restaurant scene where the two of them are having dinner. Okay, okay. In the, er, 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 early on and I just want to make a point that uh, all the actors in the picture have heavy uh, theatrical um, background because that, that's what doesn't scare them to take on long takes and uh, and a lot of dialogue so uh, you don't find that with people that don't, that don't have theatrical backgrounds don't, don't do stage no, there's, a, there's also you know, as a director I think you, you played around with some interesting visual tricks as, as well and I want to call out that that's why it's just such a spontaneous uh, fun thing what was it uh, Tom about having Thomas Sadowski uh, as your alter ego you said you know you must have been in that role as the narrator uh, at, at yeah. one point in your head so what made him the guy that was you well Tom is uh, I'm Italian obviously and Tom is a is a quarter Italian so and the rest of him is Polish. So I said to him, I need that quarter. It's really important. <laughs> you know? So uh, so he knew exactly what I was I was talking about. And uh, again, he's an East Coast person. And he, uh, he 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 read it fast. And he called me and he says, thank you for this dropped into my lap. I'll never forget the words. So uh, that's what we started. We got along famously on the phone, and we, we understood each other. The script is rather clear. I mean, it's the same guy that, you know, the way I talk is the way I write. So if you, <laughs> if you like what you read, chances are you'll like talking to me. All right. Are you coming out to CineQuest? Yes, sir. Well, then we will meet face-to-face. And, uh, oh. and the drinks are free uh, <laughs> in the right places. So, <laughs> Oh, you know, good. I wanted to... I, you mentioned before about my girl Friday on the front page. Austin Pendleton is in this. Who was I, in the re- Yes. All right. 
he was in the remake of the front page, and he said it reminded him of the front page. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, there we go. That's funny. Yeah, I didn't realize yeah. that. That's he was so in the good. one with uh, Bert. Uh, what was the name of that? Um, good. Uh, no, I think, I think it was called the front page too, but it was the remake in the. Um, you yeah, know, it's the same title. Oh, I mean, oh, that's Jack, right. There was one. Jack Lemmon. Jack Lemmon and, Ma- and Walter Matthau. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, so we we were talking. This is is world premiere. What, what are your hopes for this? Are you, do you now? You know, I, I think what you told me was it, it does not it have a distributorship, but I can't see that being the case for very long. Oh, thank you. No, because very few people um, have seen it. We just got uh, finished with it. So uh, uh, two times it screened in New York. Um, the, uh, the they had did it at the Dolby Screen Room. The people were sitting there for 30 minutes after it was over uh uh talking uh, to each other and asking questions so it was you know they, they didn't dart out so i thought that was a, a really good sign <laughs> yeah. you had a death of a salesman moment we're just going to keep dropping salting references to classic american theater uh through throughout this interview so um well good and then uh we look forward to this uh, it, it, this podcast will be out before it comes in and jake are you coming up as well yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Absolutely. Okay, well, then good. I'm glad we're having this conversation ahead of time. Uh, so far, as, as I said, I told Tom, I, I've only been, I, I've watched maybe 30, 40 minutes so far, uh, but enjoyed the heck out of this film. Oh, and good. And I, I will be, you know, I'm sure I'll be at the theater there, too. So thank you so much for taking the time tonight to talk with us, and uh, we look forward to meeting you at CineQuest. Thank, thank you, guys. You. Same Such here. a pleasure. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the love. Great. So that will break there. Okay. All right. Great. That was great. Good. Were you happy? You happy? Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. happy. Excellent. That was wonderful. Sorry, it got so dark, guys. Jeez. No, that yeah. makes it Through interesting. So I said, you know what, uh, Jake? We're fanboy planet, so we do talk horror. We do talk sci-fi, and you know that's the main thing. But Cinequest, we kind of get a little more mainstream for that, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, we're here at Cinequest. No, I was looking at your website. I'm gonna I'm gonna start listening to the pods for sure. They look cool. awesome. Okay. Cool. Um, this was actually the first uh, podcast I ever did. Ah, so I'm oh, we are honored. So, we are honored. Hop in the podcast, Jerry. <laughs> well, last last week's podcast was uh, with Michael Rabel, the uh, film. Uh, what's his title? He's the programmer. He's a programmer for the festival, and uh, we went over all the films that he thought would be of interest to our audience. So, and it's a very silly example of our podcast. And sometimes he cho- you know, he he knows there's always one like like this that every year it's like it's off the be- beaten path from what we normally do. He always recommends sci-fi and horror and then he says there's this one little special one I think you're really going to like. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's so good. The that mimic was so one happy. of those this year, so yeah. It it's fun. Yeah. It's what I've seen so far. Does it really turn dark? I'm hoping it doesn't. You know, I I, I don't no, know. No, no, no. Okay. No, it, it, no. Has, it has a surprise ending, so when I see it, you'll tell me how you like it. The ending is really something. Okay, I'm I'm really looking forward. Well, we'll, we'll see you next week then, I guess is once it, yeah. Oh my God, my tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna start next I week. I can't believe it's already. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, we'll meet you next week then. All right, looking Thank forward you. to it. Thank you guys. Good night, all right, guys. All right, be well. That was a lot of fun. I cannot wait to meet these guys face to face at CineQuest. And it's, it's kind of funny because we don't usually interview uh, people from CineQuest ahead of time like this other than Mike Rabel. So it's kind of... It's a rare thing. It was a rare thing. So it's cool. And we've got another rare one coming up right now, which is uh, a, a young woman we talked about on the podcast last 
time with sure. Mike Rabel, uh, an up and coming. Uh, and we've seen her at previous Cinequests too. We have seen her at previous Cinequests. We've seen, seen her work, and she's been in the horror industry in in, uh, in L.A. in the in, in the horror scene for quite some for a few years. Uh, starting as an actress, and then she took took control, and she's writing and directing and producing her own films, and has been for a few years. And she's got a, a new one coming to Cinequest called A Bad Place. Mike Rabel did talk about that, so we really enjoy that. So had to reach out to Jessica Cameron and say, "Hey, can you come on the podcast ahead of time and let's let's talk about about your your horror film, A Bad Place?" I did get a chance to watch it. It is a good film. <laughs> it's not a bad, you know, despite the title of Bad Place, it's a good film. And, uh, you know, creepy, the kind of horror movie I like that comes to Cinequest, you know, it's just, it's wrapped around a pretty interesting idea. And it was, again, one of those where I thought, I I, I thought I had it guessed. And then she took a swerve and I was really grateful for that swerve. And the last half of that movie, I, I really wasn't sure where the heck it was going. And I really, and that's a compliment in a horror film. So without further ado, Jessica Cameron. We welcome to the Fanboy Planet podcast, horror movie icon, uh, you're, you're Scream Queen. You've actually been on a show, I think, called Scream Queen something, right? It's Scream Queen Stream. Scream Queen Stream. Uh I, maybe I shouldn't have drunk the rum chata so I can say it clearly. Scream, scream, <laughs> scream, queen, stream. I think we welcome Jessica Cameron. Thank you for coming on tonight. Thank you so very much for having me. It's an honor to be here. And you are the writer, director, and one of the the stars of a film that's, is it premiering at, at Cinequest? It is the world premiere at Cinequest. Wow. Of a bad place. And now we, we had Michael Rabel. And his daughter on last on the last episode. Uh, that's the program, but you know, Mike, uh, program director at Cinequest, and he said you guys are going to love this film. And so, uh, you know, he, we called it out on the last podcast. So it was like we got to have Jessica on this one. So here we go. Um, I won't go to the past. Let's just talk. A bad place is was described to us by Mike as three women wake up in. A location. I, I want to say that because you you play around a lot with uh, with the set uh, where people actually are, and it's, it's going back and forth in time. They wake up and and they just have to find their way out of this bad place. So what uh, what drove you to create this film? Because not not just writing a script, but directing it and and being in it. Well, I knew my mother, unfortunately, suffered uh, with stage four lung cancer. She would pass away from it. And I spent the last six months of her life in the hospital with her. Uh, this is in 2010. And during that process, there was so much of the time that she was in, I don't want to say a coma, because that's medically inaccurate, but she was basically not awake, but she still had a functioning brain, but like it wasn't normal sleep. It was somewhere between a coma and normal sleep, right? Basically, where the body gets like is suffering from so much pain and trauma that it basically just starts shutting down. And in my mind, I thought, wouldn't it be a horrible thing if she like wanted to find her way out, but couldn't? Like, if she was cognizant of not being able to be awake in the real world, but she was trapped somewhere else. And that was kind of the the original concept. Obviously, it changed a lot, so that's not the logline of the movie. So it drastically <laughs> right. changed. 
but that was kind of where it started, where I started playing around with like the ideas and where a lot of them sort of started to take shape was with that sort of like broad stroke, like you're here and even like the, the nurses and doctors. And if you rewatch the movie, you'll pick up on it probably more on the second viewing. There's a lot of things that you watch more on the, you pick up more on the second viewing with this one. Uh, but like there's points where, you know, she can hear or sorry, one of the characters can hear past conversations when they're in hallways. Uh, and that was because like the doctors and nurses would swear to me, no, 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 she can hear you. But then when she would wake up, she wouldn't remember anything. Hmm. So, did she hear me? Could she hear me? Did she hear me on a different sort of plane? Or when she woke up, was she just so fragmented and disoriented that she didn't remember what she heard? So that was kind of where my mind was at when the original concept started getting worked in 2010. Okay. And then, so I, I, one of the things I thought interesting about the film, and, and thank you for saying and I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy more, I'll pick up more on the on the second viewing, because of course I do need to see it with, with an audience. I love seeing horror films. Uh, at, at Cine- with the crowd at CineQuest. But one of the things I found interesting is uh, is that I don't think that your protagonists are necessarily good people. Like, they're in a bad yeah. bad place. <laughs> they might deserve to be in a bad place. And that was Correct. interesting to me. Thank you. That's something that is kind of a through line in a lot of my movies. I don't believe humans... I don't believe that we, by our nature, are necessarily good or bad. I think we are all a combination of our experiences and situation and how we choose to handle everything. And by that, we're just very complex. So I certainly think uh, one of the women is is significantly worse than the others. Okay, Um, I don't want to say that. But yes, I mean, yes, I don't want to spoil it. (laughs) Trash human being. She's just horrible. Uh, but yeah, like we, we all have these levels and I think it's really easy to pass judgment on others when you don't know where they come from or how they live their life. When you see or hear about somebody behaving in a way that you wouldn't behave if you were given that circumstance, when the reality of the matter is, would you have, if you were in the exact same position with the same history as this person, that changes a lot. No. And, and as was the thing you were, you were definitely playing with a template. So I know this will be a roundabout and, and. This is absolutely complimentary. I thought I figured out what was going on, that you were playing off of a template that I've seen many times. And then about halfway through, you put a twist on this, and suddenly, to me, all bets were off. Like, <laughs> maybe I was right, and yet, no, I wasn't. And so compliments to that, but also, you know, as you were developing, how conscious were these kinds of choices? You were definitely going against the grain of certain tropes i would guess you'd say you played yeah, with like, twisted yeah when i think about writing movies and when i start to lay out my plot line honestly it always so it first of all it comes usually from some random dream or like again like the subconscious thoughts i had and then from there i kind of de- develop the characters and i sort of start sort of formulating the the overall like what do i hope to achieve right so i think about like in the end this is what i this is where i see the end being these are the characters and then it's kind of a journey for me as I write the script around getting them from A to B so I don't really pay any attention truth be told about typical writing tropes or this is what this person does this is what that's done I actually don't even if my mind every once in a while will think oh well wait wait didn't they do something similar to this movie I try to hold off any thoughts like that until I get a first draft done because keep in mind like draft one and draft ten are always very different in my world 
So draft one is just get it done, right? Like get a <laughs> get a story that makes sense that tells like the story that you originally thought you wanted to tell with characters that you originally wanted to share and then kind of work through it. So that was sort of the process with that. So I wasn't really, you know, aware or paying any attention to the troops and the story just went to me in like a very how in my mind it was supposed to go, if that makes sense. Basically, like, that's just how my mind works, <laughs> which uh, is a good and bad thing. If you see my other film, Truth or Dare and Mania, it's sometimes a really dark place. Yeah, it's so that you did the first Truth or Dare, probably the good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, Correct. But now with a, with a story that, you know, had its origin, something so personal, were there times as you were working through the actual production of the film that Jessica, the actor... Jessica, the director, and Jessica, the writer, were arguing with each other about what was best? Oh, constantly. And that's, like, always the bane of the existence when you're wearing so many hats on a film set. And I don't honestly recommend it. I get asked about that a lot. I don't recommend it. I think the best thing you can do is try to hire people uh, to do the things that you don't want to do all the work on. Because at the end of the day, every job is an 80-hour-a-week job. So you said three things. There's not the time to do all three of them to the proper efficiency, I think, that they should be done. So you're automatically going to be pulling. And it's really hard, you know, as an actor, you're worried about, quite frankly, a lot of things that are vanity-based, you know? Like, how did I look in that shot? How did I, you know, when in the reality, as a director, I don't care about how you look in the shot. I care about if you... <laughs> I thought you'd you know, turn and say, you look fine, darling. You look fine. No? Right? Okay. Well, but, like, it's so funny how, as an actor, you get just so caught up in your head... And the amount, of, and like even as a director, you try to be sensitive to other actors. Obviously, I work with a lot of women, uh, and I want them to be very pleased with it. But the amount of times women will come to me and be like, "But I, I really feel like, you know, I just I should have turned my body a little bit more." And I was like, "If anyone's looking at the fact that it's not your best angle, then they're not in the movie." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, we have bigger problems. Uh, so trying to separate just again like the superficial stuff as an actor from all of the meat that really, really matters as a director and as a producer is really hard. And then the producer director conflict is very real in my head. Cause like the producer in me is always like, stay on time, stay on budget, move, move, move. And the director is like, but I really want to spend another two hours lighting that shot. Or, you know, uh, what, what do you mean? We, we can't buy, we can't rent a $900 jib for this one shot today. But in my mind, I want that jib shot. Right. But the producer is like, no, that's stupid. You're not spending $900 on one shot that doesn't matter. What no, not allowed. All right. <laughs> so it's like those things are constantly in direct conflict, which is challenging to say the least as well. So it's a lot of juggling. It's a lot of, you know, uh, somebody once said you kill your babies. Yes. Uh, when you're making a movie, meaning you take things that you thought were really important and something's going to have to die because there's just so many things that are really important. Uh, and I think that that's very true, and it's a very true process, especially when you're wearing multiple hats, where it's like you got to just, what's really going to matter? You know, is this a selling point? Is this going to be a sticking point? You know, we lost our primary location. We lost, I don't know, 48 hours before the shoot. Wow. So everything kind of had to get reworked. Yeah. No. Luckily, because the nature of the film is it does shift, which has always been the intention. But it was originally, we originally had permission to shoot in a really amazing, amazing uh, military training facility. And we would have been the first movie to ever shoot there. We'd already passed our clearance, etc. So everything was set to go. And then 48 hours before, there was some kind of, we, we were never really told the details because the, the general public, public is not allowed to know. 
but there was a threat to American soil, which means everything gets shut down on the government level, like for that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then they start immediately training any and all armed forces that are not away. So what these places are, or, and I don't know if you knew this, I thought this was fascinating. This is almost a movie in and of itself. There's these like huge compounds throughout America and I'm sure in other countries as well, where they have all these little setups rigged so that people can go and practice doing various tactical maneuvers. So, for example, there was like a derailed train, which is a life-size train, which is derailed. And it's meant so that like, you know, firefighters and first responders and Navy and Army can like figure out how to like, you know, maneuver on those kind of situations. There's like buildings which are at like a 45 degree angle so that again, if like an earthquake happens, they can do the maneuvers. There was a city, like not a city, sorry. There was like a several block chunk of a city that was built underwater for the purpose of people being able to like practice life-saving maneuvers when you have to like take people out from water. Um, there was like hospital, there's really, really cool stuff. So we were originally going to be shooting entirely on this compound for two weeks. And then two days before, through no fault of their own, you know, we had some kind of emergency, emergency threat uh, and we weren't allowed on the property. So, you know, at that point, you've, like, got to just make it work. You're like, okay, who else do we know? What else do we have access to? You know, we need a hospital. And then everything else is kind of, like, a bonus. Yeah. But let's just make it work. You know? But it's a shame because it really was an amazing – it would have been an amazing, amazing set. And I even thought I was like, damn it, I wish it hadn't have stung so much because I would love to be like, I will write another movie and shoot there. But the risk of just like – especially given our yeah. current political climate being like, do I depend on the fact that we don't have an emergency happen right before filming again? No, you don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're right. Oh. Um, uh, so, I mean, it is a tough job, uh, national emergencies aside. And what, what drew you to writing, directing, and horror in particular? Well, so I, I first of all, as a, as a child, horror was always my favorite movies to watch. They were and are and always have been my passion. I think the fact that, first of all, I like being scared. I think it's fun. I also like, I'm not, not an overly emotional person in my real life. So horror films are really like the only type of film that elicits much of a reaction from me. You know, even people joke, oh, wow, you don't think that movie's funny. I'm like, I do. But like, you have to be a super high level of funny to get me to physically laugh out loud. You know, I can still admit it's probably funny. Romance movies don't really phase me, not really into them at all, never have been. Dramas are kind of a lot very hit or miss. Again, they don't really elicit much of an emotional reaction, but horror films always did. So I always love that. And then I also like the fact that they were the only ones that I didn't find very predictable. And for me, if I can predict the end of the movie, my instinct is to just not bother watching it, because why bother? I know how it's going to end. You know, so what I like about horror films and always have since I was a kid is that anything and everything could happen. You know, I look to when I saw Scream in the theater, you know, and everyone, everything had promoted Drew Barrymore, star of Scream. She's on the cover. She's on everything. She's literally dead (laughs) in the very beginning of the film. So I love the idea that like nobody's safe. So I love the films and I just thought that was that. And then when I would go into acting, I would go into it later when I was in my early 20s when I was working a full-time job in fashion. Um, and they insisted I take classes to fix my speech because I spoke too quickly. Oh. So when I couldn't find speech classes in Ohio, my immediate boss, who thought it was ridiculous, but it came from her boss's boss, 
said, why don't you just take an acting class, talk slowly around the stupid people, and then we'll convince them that it's working. So that's what I did. I started taking acting classes. Uh, and I thank God did. You know, everything happens for a reason. So around that same time, I'd worked at the company for about three months, and I realized I hated fashion in the real world. I loved it in school, but in the real world, it was a nightmare. Uh, and people often criticize those of us who work in independent film and whatnot. Let me tell you, there are no worse people in life than there are working in the fashion industry. They're just the shittiest high school well, immature. Well, there, there goes the two fashion listeners we have. I think huh. that's uh, <laughs> right. Well, there, here's the thing: most people, like if you're a decent human being and you work, and you know that you work really beings. You know, it's just really, really, unfortunately, a vile, vile industry filled with people that are just, you know, superficial, talk behind your back. It's again, it's like, it's like if you gave high schoolers their own income stream. That was my experience working in fashion. So needless to say, didn't love that. But I found that I could get through the crappy day, like the crappy day job just so I could get to acting class on evening and weekends. So I did that for several years. Uh, and then I got to the point because it was Ohio where my teachers were like, you know, you're really good. You need to just start rehearsing or like, you know, sorry, going out on auditioning. And I was like, I'm not looking for a part time job. You know, it's just passion for me. But they're like, well, you've kind of completed all the classes. So it's not like we just make endlessly new classes because people don't stay here and learn learn the craft of acting. Right. Like they get their feet wet and then they either move on to other things in life or they leave town. So I started auditioning, and by fluke, everything I started auditioning for mostly was horror, because it's a hobbyist market. So people are out there filming these like low-budget horror movies mm -hmm. that you don't have to have an A-lister on. So I started auditioning a lot and booking a lot, and it was all like genre, genre, genre. But it was honestly the best thing because I loved it so much. So it was just meant to be. And then I, I think. I I think what we were talking about last week, week with with Mike was I think we're we're entering into there have been w women horror directors all along. At, but I, I'm thinking back to uh, Mary. Uh, she did American Mary Heron, uh, Rachel Talalay, yeah. and uh, I think even Elsa Lanchester had done one or two horror films. And, and but I think we're we're in a renaissance of growth. And as you say, it's a, to some extent a hobbyist market. So this the community has grown so much. Um, do you feel that? Do you feel a, a, a pride or a sense of responsibility as part of a, of a wave, or am I just reducing it too much? <laughs> um, I don't know if I feel a pride. I feel very excited about where we're going and about the changes that we're making. I think that we're heading in the right direction. I think that anybody... Sometimes I find that, that my fellow working professionals in the industry, both male and female can be a little bit too hard on the fact like, well, it's not changing overnight. But the reality of the matter is when you make changes, the end result doesn't happen overnight. You know, to say that, well, we expect studios to hire 50% women is just not realistic when the reality of the matter is if you look at, you know, the people that are going to school for film, it's not a 50% people, it's not 50% either. So like the people that are becoming trained professionals are not allowing those numbers to be 50, 50. But what we can do is encourage more women to step up and chase their dreams and go after We can encourage, you know, all the festivals and you know places that hire directors producers all the like to try actively to seek out more women to submit not necessarily to hire them i'm still a big believer that the best person for the job should be the one hired but i think wouldn't it be great if in a, the real world 50 percent of the resumes were women mm -hmm. that would be ideal 
not that you should hire 50, like hire the best person for the job, but let's get the resumes, let's get the submissions, let's get it so that they're actively seeking out, you know, more women to submit to the jobs or mm-hmm. at least being considered. So I feel like to me, that's like the biggest thing that help, holds us back is that we're not considered. And I do feel that that is changing. And I feel like now that we've opened up a line of dialogue about it and we're having a discussion around it, it's facilitating the necessary changes. It's just going to be a, it's going to be a moment in time before it sort of takes full effect. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I usually ask when we talk to people in the horror community, you know, I, I say, despite the fact that they they make a, make a living or a vocation of scaring the crap out of everybody. They're some of the nicest people I've ever met in Hollywood. Oh, completely. And I also arguably yeah. the most mentally sane. The reality <laughs> of the matter is, because we, we, we play with the dark sides of our personalities on camera and share it with the world. We don't harbor, or at least I don't, and many of the people I know, we don't harbor our dark side because we show it to you freely. Versus, again, like I think to the people I know in fashion, I was like, some of y'all are horrible, horrible human beings, like in actual life. You know, because you have this like dark side that the world doesn't see, but if you take a peek into it, it's really nasty. So you put it on film. So what is your favorite horror film? Or is that an unfair oh, question? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, for me, it's it changes. I probably have a top five. But one that I absolutely love and I think always has, it's made the top five ever since I saw it, was Martyrs, the original one. Not the remake, uh, the original. I just find it so impactful. Um, also, they have a wonderful use of misdirection if you haven't seen it. Um, fair warning, Martyrs is absolutely not for the weak of heart. It is very graphic and very intense, and I have definitely shown it to people who couldn't handle it. I will wait uh, which till I think after to watch that then, okay? Yes, but it's really, really, really brilliant. Don't let the fact that it's a foreign film, you know, prevent you from watching oh, it. Does it so does. There's, there's one in 2008 and one in 2015. So I think it's the 2008. Okay. 2008 one. Okay. Yep. Uh, so yeah. Martyrs. Okay. It's so that goes on my list. Perfect. So we're that gonna, one. And then I also love Solo. You haven't seen Solo? Put that on your list too. The original. I've heard of Solo. I've never watched it. Okay. So that's yeah, good. Yeah. 120 years of thought. So now, okay. now again, Solo comes with a warning of just to me, it's a very typical 70s film. So that's it's not a perfect film. For me, Martyrs is almost a perfect film. Solo is definitely not, because it does come with, in my opinion, a lot of the the aspects I don't personally love about 70s cinema, you know, like some of the acting's very hit or miss, or just intentionally unbelievable. Is there a random um, biker gang? There is not. Okay, then it's, yeah, it's not the perfect 70s film. <laughs> uh, I was just, because actually this ties into Cinequest, uh, you know, the, their closing night is the Marcel... Marceau bi- biopic from World War t- uh, about his time in World War Two, and have you seen his horror film Shanks? I have not. Oh well, then let me recommend one back to you. Yes, Marcel Marceau yes. is William Castle's last filmed as a director. Is this thing called Ooh. Shanks? Uh, which one, once I watched it, realized Edward Scissorhands rips it off shamelessly. But there is, I warn you, a random biker gang. I still cannot figure out what they were doing in that film, but it's there. So we're going to see you at Cinequest next week, right? You're going to you're going to be coming up. Absolutely, are I would not miss it for the world. All right, then. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time tonight, and we look forward to meeting you face to face. Thanks for coming on, Jessica. Likewise, my absolute pleasure. Once again, 
thank you to Jessica. And you can find A Bad Place screening at Cinequest. And for both that, The Mimic, and many, many more films, in, including, of course, what we did talk about last week, The Mark of Zorro, the silent film. Tickets are available on Cinequest.org, which means also follow-up to last week's episode when we we were talking about what movie did the Waynes watch coming out of the movie Joker if the Mark of Zorro in comics was the film established as what Bruce made them go see and they, and they, they watched them the night they were killed. In Joker, the movie they're watching because it's set in the early 80s is George Hamilton in Zorro the Gay Blade. It's close, but a different kind of inspiration. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so let, let's, let's move on and, and get, get to a, a little bit of a regular episode and talk comics, shall we? Also last week, we had, we had, the news had broken just before we sat down to record, the day before we sat down to record on Saturday night with Mike Rabel, that Dan DiDio, the co-publisher of DC Comics, had left DC. The further details and confirmation had come out that he was indeed fired. And I got a text message from Nate Costa, our once and future announcer. We'll have you back again, Nate. Someday. 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 In the meantime, go to his restaurant in Santa Clarita, Wicked Chicken. Fantastic. Fantastic. Anyway, uh, it is good. Cluck, cluck. So, I don't think that's actually there. I don't think I know. I don't think that's their phrase. But anyway, uh, so... Uh, he, I got a text from him saying like, are, you know, I like Dan, what's going on? What do you, do you have an opinion? And I said, and I said, well, we talked about it on the podcast, but you know, it's not that I really know anything, but the question that comes further and that's, and what I'm really hearing in comic shops and online is what does this really mean for DC comics? And I really want to emphasize comics because for a few years as a company, it's just called DC. DC. But what does it mean for comics? And we didn't de- dive too deeply into it on Saturday because we had two two muggles with us, sure. uh, you know that that really weren't in, into comics that much. Oh, I, I'm sure Rabel really is, but uh, every year we have to hold this ground. We have to play this game. Anyway, um, what I've heard today, shockingly, is that uh, I thought that Generation Five or Five G or whatever they're going to call it was dead, and, and that was cited as one of the reasons he was fired. That his insistence on these constant events and and reboots and so forth had rubbed a lot of uh, a lot of people the wrong way internally and warner media's upper echelon at&t new owners were just tired of it and they didn't understand um so much like disney uh, dc is now in the hands of people from consumer products and uh but 5g is still happening at least the rumor is that, that you know, people are very enthusiastic about 5G internally. It was just that Dan DiDio had suggested it that was not what they were enthusiastic about. Hmm. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think the thing is once it becomes consumer products, and I do understand. Look, they're books. They're comics. They're, they're periodicals, as Dan would say charmingly. They're floppies. I think he stopped, I think he stopped calling them that, but he was a – uh, but he really, but for a while, that's what he called called the the regular the monthly issues, comics, yeah. single issues. And again, I'm going to say, man, as much as I have crossover fatigue, it's because I'm I've gone through so many. I've right. gone through th- through so many reboots. But for a new reader, I do see that's and that's one of the, the strengths I think of Zoom and Ink. Their their young adult and and middle school lines of of trade paperbacks that are about 10 bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. 
they're kind of out of continuity stories, but they're making characters age appropriate for that, that readership. Uh, I don't know what those sales have been, but what I've read of them have been terrific. They're just not my version and they don't have to be my version of Batman. Yeah. My version of Batman is still a Batman from the thirties to the seventies hardcover. My parents bought on remainder at board, uh, at Barnes and not Barnes and Noble. B. Dalton, that's what I was struggling right, for. Right. B. Dalton or Wal- Walden Books, one of those two. A mall bookstore, back when those were a thing. And, uh, you know, I, I have plenty of those stories. And I have plenty of uh, of later stories that I enjoyed too, you know. And and uh, so it, 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 I think he he did some tremendous work and, I, and want to pay all homage to it. As much as I have not liked his endless attempts to reboot the Metal Men in the same way, I do think his OMAC is strangely fun. Hmm. Um, out of the new 52, that the was... The one that's showing up in that's, Metal It's currently in Metal Men. That character and that that new 52 version of it was like one of the few new 52 books I actually liked hmm. because it just embraced the crazy side of Jack Kirby's imagination. Right. And, I, you know, I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think he's also given a lot of creators that I have become acquaintanced with if, a, you know, a couple, I might even dare say, were sort of friends that wouldn't have had a shot if Dan DiDio hadn't thought, you know, that that was the right thing. Rumor, again, is that what's happening now with DC, Jim Lee is more, uh, they're looking out for, again, best-selling novelists, people that are popular in other media as writers to come in and, and take over books. Names, but, I mean, are they... Well, Joe Hill has been... Well, Joe Hill, but that was Dan DiDio yeah. who brought Joe in. Well, so, yeah, but that's... No, Mr. Hill. I don't know Joe Hill. Yeah. I've never even seen him. It's a it's a good move. I mean, if if, if you can get, maybe go for, instead of kids, go for more adult readers that are going to recognize the name of... Uh, well, I was looking at my shelf earlier today and thinking, you know, for all the complaint about reboots, I did one of the best things that they've done in the last de- decade that I've really enjoyed were the Earth One books. Uh-huh. Which seems to disappear. Those have seemed to have disappeared. They slowed down, but there was a there's a Superman, a Batman, Wonder Woman, Teen Titans. There's a Green Lantern. Overlooked the Green Lantern. Have you no, read I the never Green Lantern even one? Seen that yeah. by Gabriel Hardman. Perfect hard sci-fi version of Green Lantern. Interesting. Separate from any other continuity. That's the other interesting thing. You know, even the Teen Titans. It's not right, connected right. to anybody yeah. else. Any other characters in their in their own. But I it's. As I've said before, Jeff Johns blows hot and cold for me, but but his Batman Earth One books yeah. are tremendous, yep. terrific. And J. Michael Straczynski did the Superman Earth One graphic novels, and those were great. Grant Morrison and I think Yannick Paquette was the artist on the uh, Wonder Woman. Really interesting modern take. I you know I I I've enjoyed them all. So uh, again, as much he did. The question is, as we look through and we see there's a comic story we'll talk about in, in a minute that makes me go, you know, comics, I have to accept that as far as this quote-unquote mainstream comics, DC and Marvel, are either lost leaders or they're on their way out. I think comics as an industry are thriving because kids love making them. There are plenty of creators that love them and are coming, uh, love making them and, and are have so many unique uh, concepts that are coming out in from other publishers, but out of DC and Marvel, I think they are just there to see what should be turned into a TV show. Mm-hmm. What should we <laughs> What should we adapt for HBO Max? Right. What should be um, on Disney Plus? 
Yeah, and it doesn't hurt that they're already uh, they're already set up. Like, uh, what are the things they used for planning the shots in the movie? Um, storyboards. Story. They're already set up like storyboards, and they can read through and see the movie in their head. Yeah. So yeah. you should trademark that phrase. See the movie in your head. I used it wrong because seeing the movie in your head is what you do when you read a book. But they can see. They can see imagine the movie the in motion. your mind. Yeah. Is that it? No. Uh, yeah. 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 Ah, ah. I've got enough trademarks. Yeah, well, because we're story dwellers. Uh-huh. Uh, in the meantime, uh, the speculators are still rushing to comics, and including DC, because Batman number 89 debuted in one, with one panel, the Joker's new femme fatale. Would you call her a femme fatale? Mall? I have uh, both books, and I haven't Harley actually Quinn? looked at the pages. Oh, Rick. You speculator. So it's Batman number 89, and what is this other book? It's called it's a- Year of the Vill- Villain, Hell Arisen, number three of four. And uh, the character, the sensational new character find of 2020 is Punchline. A woman, she looks almost like, is she an android? Is that like the 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 strength of her that, like, that she can take... Whatever violence is up against her is, oh God, you know, even as I just described right, so it, she it looks kind of like a Japanese mime. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I had seen her image before. Um, it is not the first appearance in media of Punchline people. Call it the Earth, uh, Earth A version of Punchline did appear in a Warner Brothers production. Uh, Punchline was in, are you ready? Do you know where Punchline no, appeared don't. earlier? I told you at dinner I was going to surprise you with this. Uh-huh. Punchline is in an episode of Animaniacs. Oh my god. Specifically a segment known called Chicken Boo. Do you remember Chicken Boo? No, uh, I remember the character. The 6 foot tall uh chicken that would like be plugged into things in life and no one would notice that it's just a chicken. You're just a chicken, boo. There's an episode called The Boo Wonder. Which featured the Cape Crusader, not Batman, but it was voiced by Adam West. Okay. The Cape Crusader and the Boo Wonder, uh, both dressed mysteriously just like Batman and Robin, uh, who went up against a combination Joker-Riddler character called Punchline. And that is a a six-minute cartoon on Animaniacs, only one appearance. Uh, but it's also the only time that Chicken Boo made me laugh because, my God, Adam West, that was the first time Adam West had gotten to fall right back into the rhythms of being Batman in years. And uh, so very, very funny episode. I've never seen, I haven't seen anybody else make the case for me that that there had been a previous punchline. So we heard it here first. There you go. On Fanboy Planet, go back to your Animaniacs DVDs and you find that episode. It's hard to get a mint condition uh, Animaniacs episode into a baggie with a no reinforcing I mean, there might be a blu-ray this there. book is is so hot with the speculators i don't i usually just get bags i did you not bagged and boarded i that. did not ask for the board my, my my comic book shop did it to did it for it just because they knew it was uh highly yeah, yeah. speculated right now every now and then i do that i think i bagged and boarded the last uh issue of the walking dead just because Really, I thought it was such a good standalone story. Yeah. I wanted to save it for yeah. for my son uh, to read later. You know, so um, yeah. So uh, the other like Universal expansion this year uh, that uh, this is why I was going to say 
that comics are kind of like this this weird afterthought commodity is so Disney and Lucasfilm announced this week Star Wars The High Republic which I think is subtitled in very very tiny letters in Arabesh the expanded universe still is not canon uh, this any resemblance to the Knights of the Old Republic living or dead is strictly coincidental so I'm calling it a transmedia event because they had teased it they teased it it'll be books it'll be movies I think it's only a matter of time before there's a game that gets through oh, sure. that it's and the, the funny thing is this is really what they did in the run up to The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi that there were novels that were coming out from Del Rey mm-hmm. that were filling in gaps and there were Marvel comics that were filling in gaps and what has been added to the mix is there are IDW kids comics filling in the gaps as well. Uh-huh. You and I know one of the authors, so I want to call it out why it got especially exciting to me and, and why I really enjoy going to Comic-Con. Because at a, a comic book legal defense fund party years ago, we first met Kevin Scott, who will be writing one of the first novels. Oh. I, and actually, I think it... No, he's writing the Marvel comic. So Charles Soule well-known Marvel Comics writer, will be writing the first novel, and then his novel will tie into Kevin Scott's Marvel Comics series. Got it. And it takes place about 200 years, I think, before, if I read that date right, before before the the Skywalker saga. Uh So it's when the Jedi... Before the Phantom Menace. Where the Jedi were still allegedly just good... There's a new villainous organization, group of aliens called the Neil. And there's a great disaster. All these Jedi come in. But I think what is interesting, and it's clearly influenced by the success of The Mandalorian, is that they will be dealing with with the fact that just because there's a, a Republic, not everybody's part of the Republic, and there are planets on the, on the rim. And so there are Jedi that are out there that are kind of like the Texas Rangers in their words. They said that. So uh. we're going to get Skywalker... Texas Ranger, uh, Jedi oh. fighting on the frontier, and uh, yes, I think Chuck Norris is full of the Force. So, so there's that. It's kind of interesting. We'll see what what happens with that. Again, I'm just thrilled for we've ch- chatted with Kevin Scott, never on the podcast, but we have. Mm-hmm. I've run into him at Gallifrey One. I've run into him at Comic Con. I've run into him at, at every convention we go to. One year or another, there's Kevin Scott, and we've talked a couple times. So, yeah, well, let's, let's do the podcast. So now, if Lucasfilm will let him, I guess we really have to because this is a big deal. Yeah, I should have done it when beforehand, you know. But now he may have gotten too big for us. Oh, Cav, oh, Cav, I'll still buy you a drink. All right. And now I think it's time for pick of the week. That's uh, I, I know we didn't do that last week, but I still have to say because this is a jam packed episode, we'll still choose one. What, Rick, is your pick of the week from the comic shop? My pick of the week is a follow-up from a few months back when the first issue of this comic came out, and it was kind of speculative. It looked good, and I'm happy to report that um, Jeff Lemire's <coughs> excuse me, Jeff Lemire's Skull Digger and Skeleton Boy is, in fact, holding together at least for the first three issues, and I'm really enjoying the uh, the pacing, the art, and the story. Uh, it's 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 a dark book it's my one comment on this that it says from the world of black hammer and it really doesn't need to be um there have been a couple books like this that have been from the world of dark hammer that that have filled in storyline and stuff from 
But you know why it needs secondary to be? characters? Why? Because it's been purchased for Netflix. So the more he can expand the world, the Black Hammer, the world of story. Black Hammer, the more okay uh, it gets adapted. I mean, that's a that's a hypothesis. My other suspicion is knowing the origins of Black Hammer. The I think it may just be that the, these are characters he's been drawing since he was like in like eight years old. Ah. so you know maybe anybody he created when he was a kid is part of the world of black hammer yeah yeah and so far it's mentioned a couple of things but it really hasn't uh been at all functional in the uh, plot or sure world east these uh two characters is is he doing art on that as well uh no uh tonsi zonjik tonsi zonjik uh yeah i i i don't know there are i uh, that's one steve wands as we were talking earlier about my cutting down on periodicals, Black Hammer is one I get in trade ah. because I just love being able to just remember. I have to get trades if, I, if the storyline is I don't want to have lost track where an issue is right. in between. So it's like, but I have to read it in one sitting. Whatever arc, I loved his Legion of Superheroes riff. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I I really enjoy that. Um, and I, I've liked I've liked the Sherlock Frankenstein stuff. That was and, fun. You know, the, all all the ones he's tied in so far. It's not that I don't love this. I do love this, but I just the tie-in is, is right. But weak. you lo- you love the book. Yeah. You just did, so I it mean, just didn't need to be. If you fun. if you haven't been reading the world of Black Hammer, you can still pick this book up, and you don't don't need anything else. Um, it is kind of uh, like what if uh, what if the Punisher had an apprentice, you know, and how would that go? So, and and I I say this not as a Punisher fan. I'm a fan of this book. That's that's good. That's good. Uh, so I I don't actually have the one that I realized I want to make my pick of the week. I I did buy some books this week. I enjoyed them, but there was a trade paperback that because I bought it was the rare one where it was a miniseries that I had bought each individual issue. I put the paperback back on the on the shelf because I'm like I've read it all, and I realized crap. I have to buy it. Patton Oswalt does the introduction. Oh, does the forward okay. to it. What is possibly my favorite comic book of twenty twenty of twenty nineteen and maybe into twenty twenty because I think the last issue came out in January, and that is Second Coming, mm-hmm. uh, by by Mark Russell as the writer and I'm blanking on the on the artist and I apologize because I've loved the art as well, but it is both a funny book it is a, but it is also a, a deeply serious book, and that it it deals with as the title implies uh it is jesus being sent back to earth by by the lord to learn a thing or two from this earth's superhero uh sunstar and and so but he himself the superhero the superman analog is having a crisis of faith basically he wants to get married but he and his fiance can't uh, his girlfriend at the time i guess when the series starts his girlfriend, they can't have a child. They're not allowed to adopt because his lifestyle is so violent. And and the Lord wants to teach Jesus to, to stop being so forgive and turn the other cheek and be more like Sunstar. And they influence each other quite a bit. And the meanwhile, Satan is running around. And it has a lot to say about faith, a lot to say about religion. But it is also, at the same time, it, you may as the first issue made it feel like it was sacrilegious and it's not, it's actually a, a very, it's like, and I don't know everybody agrees with me, but I like watching dogma Kevin Smith's film because uh-huh. he's, he's wrestling 
with what he believes. Right. And that's what and I don't know if Mark Russell is a Christian man. When you read um not that he has to be. It makes it sound like, oh, and we've got the Fanboy Planet Good Time Bible Hour here. No. Um, but, you know, in the Flintstones, which is amazing that I could say that, you know, that the Flintstones also kind of dissected religion in, in, in bedrock. Uh, this, is, this is a serious, though funny, exploration of what the words mean, what you're supposed to believe, you know, how you're supposed to interpret it, and what is the message actually. And... It stunned me, and I, I, one more book like this, Mr. Russell, and you may knock, and Rick's about to fall off his chair when I say this, he may knock Grant Morrison off the pedestal oh. of my one of my favorite comics writer. There you go. You know, I love Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman's in it like a thing of his own, but Mark Russell as a comics writer is, because there is not a single series I've discovered by Mark Russell that I have not just gone... That should not, that had no right to be as good as it is. And Second Coming is, like I say, it is just my favorite book of 2019. Strong so page. I got to go back and get the trade paperback. And I think Patton Oswald agrees. Uh, my second favorite came out in paperback this week, too, which was Going to the Chapel. So ah. by David Propose. So, which Patton Oswald also <laughs> promoted like heck. So, Patton, I'm just saying, call me. You know, we'll just cut off the middleman and have the, make these recommend, recommendations together. So shall we talk movies? Yeah. Let's talk movies. You know, we started comics by saying Dan DiDios was unceremoniously let go. This week, ceremoniously, but very unexpectedly, Disney CEO Bob Iger. Was that Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday that I got a text saying. I think so. Letting me know. And I was like, well, I was in the middle of a work training and I looked up. What's happened? And I, I checked the headlines and went, oh. Bob Iger stepped down as CEO. He's still finishing out his contract as whatever this means, executive CEO. Um, but he's focusing on entertainment while Bob Chapek, who is, okay, i got to take a deep breath so I can remember to say this all correctly, was the uh, chairman of DPEP. That's Disney Parks Experiences and Products. I got it all. Okay, DPEP, everybody, DPEP. Anyway, uh, so now he is CEO. He's in charge of the whole shebang. Uh, so Bob Iger is going to focus on entertainment for the duration of his of his contract, which is until February 2021, maybe December 2021. Mm. It ex- it expires, but but the day to day operations and this does sort of make sense. Um, one, he wanted to have a successor, have a chance to have kind of a run up while he still has someone to turn to for advice or you know a consigliere, if you will. Um, and so uh, Bob Chapek is running Disney. I don't think that affects our near-term movies, although I do think that Disney Plus, as we'll get to it, is kind of a little bit of turmoil. Some shows that were announced with big fanfare are just not coming to fruition. Obi-Wan Kenobi's been delayed, although Ewan McGregor says it's really not that big a deal. They just want to get the scripts right, which I'm for. I would rather not a rushed series. I'm paying good money, and I've got plenty of other content on Disney Plus. I still got to finish Gargoyles. I got to watch. Have you watched that Three Caballeros, The Legend of the Three Caballeros? No, I've not. I've, I've animated series it a couple times, so I've not. But um, somebody that's been on the podcast was actually one of the story, uh, uh, main artists on it, um, Chris Moreno, who we interviewed a long, long time ago. But Chris was um, was in uh, Bela Lugosi's Tales from the Grave, same issue that I was in. And uh, so we've been acquaintances for a while. He worked on that, and that was a great series. So there's so much still on Disney Plus, but we'll see movie wise. You know, 
there's rumors of another Star Wars movie in development. Um, you know, who knows what's going on? It's just kind of Ryan Johnson still developing a trilogy. Kevin Feige still supposedly developing a film. And then they announced another one. And I, because I, I, I have lost track of the rumors of how many Star Wars movies are being developed. You know, I, uh, this isn't on your list, but I went to see My Hero Academia last night. I wasn't night. sure where to categorize it because I wasn't sure it was getting a theatrical re- release other than the... I don't think it's getting... I think they're going to do the same thing as they did with the first one where they did a Fathom-style event right, and then for it's a couple sh- for a week or so. And then it'll be on so, DVD or something? Yeah, and like right now you can go to... Uh, you can buy it, you go to Amazon and buy the discs or you can watch it on Amazon. That's uh, the only one I checked, uh, but... It's, it's available for rent and buy downloads. Um, digital release is what they'll and, say. And I won't, I won't, I'm hoping that I'm going to get you a screener and then we can talk about it. Ooh, um, well, that's exciting. Because they, they reached out to me and said, did you want a screener? I said, well, Do you know, quick while I still have time to watch said, it before CineQuest said, hits. I'm actually in the theater right now waiting to see the film, but I would like to get a screener so <laughs> we can have, have a conversation about it on the podcast. So, um, but... Uh, I, I will say it was a very it was a fun movie. It it's uh, it's it's a, a movie for anime fanboys. Just so but, you know, so, superheroes. I, I going back, and I'm glad you brought it up. But you know, I want I've watched the first season. Yeah, uh, and I need to get back to it because I really enjoyed. It's like again taking all these stereotypes of the of the you know even though it's in Japan. Uh, of the, American the tropes movie. of the American yeah. superhero and what happens when it gets into that other cultural mixer yeah. and and spit back at us. It's it's a delight. It's it's a lot of fun. This movie has its own share of Dragon Ball Z in it too, which is why I'm saying it's a real anime eh. anime fans. Well, I mean, it's not Dragon Ball Z, but there are some there are some Dragon Ball Z tropes that show up in this and you kinda of go, Oh my god. Anyway, I didn't really want to talk about that. What I wanted to talk about were the coming attractions. Because okay. In the coming attractions, I swear I counted to four. I can only figure out three of them right now. There were four, I'm going to go with four, previews for Marvel movies coming out in the short term. Okay. So Black Widow has probably gotten the most press. Yes. And then um, New Mutants, which we talked about on the show. It's yeah. been in the can for a little while. Morbius. Morbius. Yeah. And I can't remember what the fourth one was now. There's, a, there, I think there's another one coming out like, it's not even these things aren't even going out to Christmas. So, like in really short term, I think Black Widow is next month. Black Widow is February, uh, March, March, March right? Because it's 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 almost not February. It's almost time to turn my Doc Savage calendar page yes. to to March. Uh, farewell, Conan. Um, what is oh Eternals? They didn't have an. They didn't have a review for that. Uh, oh, so it was an animated something. something I else. don't know. I, I don't know. Don't know. Or was it? Uh, was it a, a like a commercial for uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Nope, not that either. Oh. Was, it, was, was it Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four? And you just assumed? No, they did. They did, they did have you a just preview for it. That Disney uh, had bought Warner Brothers while you were sleeping. They had a preview for Wonder Woman uh, eighty four, but it wasn't that. There was no. Okay. 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 So, and it wasn't. It wasn't me that made the notice. Like it was a guy sitting next to me. Going, there were just four Marvel reviews, and I counted them up at that time. Go, yeah, he's right. So, anyway, it's a golden age, and I can't believe. I and, and, and it is sort of like I just want to go. Could you just lay off for a little while so I can recover? Yeah. The funny thing is, I'm not terribly excited about any. <laughs> any well, of these. you know, and, and, Black Widow probably the most, and it's not to slag on any, but I think it's one of the. I almost treat 
Cinequest as this annual palate cleanser. Uh-huh. Uh, notwithstanding that, ironically enough, the reason um, we started talking with Cinequest was because uh, a superhero movie that I was in for five seconds, available at Walmart, Sparks, uh, made its world premiere at, at Cinequest. That's Walmart. The movie's name is Sparks. It's Sparks. not a Sparks, Nevada. No, no, no. You find it. You know, it's at the Walmart it's a, in Sparks, It's Nevada. at the Walmart in Sparks, Nevada. Uh, no, uh, Sparks. Uh, the Rise of Ian Sparks. I think it had a subtitle. Anyway, it's still available. You can find it on Amazon. Um, anyway, uh, it is nice that that's... I think that's been the only time there's been a superhero film. And so I get to, like, with Jessica Cameron, I get to explore this interesting little, you know, subgenre of... Horror. I get to see some mainstream films that I, as I say, I fall in love with. Oh, good! I have room to see this, you know, um, it, to see these, and I'm and looking forward to so many uh, of the films. And there, I mean, I I have a list Mike sent me of you know the horror films and the sci-fi films, and and I want to catch the shorts because who takes time to watch shorts any other time? You know, and you go yeah. and you see a program of that and say, there's some really good sci-fi stuff happening. Just like I, you know, I meant to say with a bad place, I love, uh, or I think maybe get in there that I love a horror film that is about ideas, and it doesn't matter that okay, she lost where she wanted to film it two weeks before they actually started filming. They made do yeah, because the idea was still strong. The idea was still yeah. so strong, and you know that's that's what I what I love to see. Now a film that. I don't know if they have an idea, but they're still making it. And it made news this week is that Steven Spielberg is stepping down from the production from directing Indiana Jones five. And I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I mean, I, I guess one of my biggest question is I, I haven't read if he's still going to make Blackhawks, which I thought was a cool idea. I would love to see. Uh, I do want to see Steven Spielberg's Blackhawks. Maybe Hawks. it's the same movie. No, no. <laughs> um, but James Mangold, who did direct Logan, uh, is in talks to direct Indiana Jones 5. And I would say, if you must make an Indiana Jones 5, that is one of the decisions that would, uh, or the artistic choices that would make me interested, hmm. is to see a different director take it on. Although I'm just as happy to say, you know, Harrison's getting on. And... Maybe everything we love about that character needed to be a young man getting by the skin of his teeth, you know, and it was nice. Now create something new because I was talking with somebody else and let us remember Star Wars only exists because George Lucas was not allowed to make a Flash Gordon movie. Right. So he made something arguably better it certainly took a greater hold on on our culture Mm -hmm. indiana jones only exists because george lucas was not allowed to make a james bond movie spielberg was going to direct but james but george lucas wanted to be involved so they created indiana jones so where is that next new character or that, that next new concept that's because you didn't get your right to do. As much as we talk about the high, what do we call it? The high republic or something uh, for yes. Star Wars. And, and, and how much I love that, that I know people that are working on that. And I know that they're genuinely so excited to be playing with those toys. But I wish that Kevin, who is a great writer, you know, got to create his own new toy 
that was often often at Kevin Scott, you know, for the High Republic. I I I, I wish that there's somebody James Mangold had come up like, well, what Ryan Johnson did with Knives Out. Benoit Blanc is now, you know, Lionsgate's approved the sequel. There will be a franchise. It's a new character that, <laughs> right. that looks like Hercule Poirot a little bit, but is its own thing. Daniel Craig has created this new character. Right. And we'll get two or three Benoit Blanc movies, and I'll love the heck out of well, that. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, in Star Wars came out. We did not go leaving – the, leaving the motion picture theater at uh, for Star Wars – we weren't saying, I can't wait for the sequel. I like how we just said it as if we were in the 20s. We left the motion picture theater. Right. But <laughs> but the... Uh, then we had ourselves an egg cream. Because it came in mid-story. It felt like an artifact that we were supposed to discover part of a series that we could never get the rest of. And it, the same thing with with Raiders of the Lost Ark. It wasn't called Indiana Jones. It was called Raiders of the Lost Ark. It is now called Indiana Jones. It wasn't and the, I know, I know. That's how old we are. We yeah. remember when Star Wars was one movie called Star Wars, and we liked it. Yes. We remember Raiders of the Lost Ark. They were good. You yeah. know, they were fun. And it was like, good, good heavens. It's like, it's the other thing, and you go with other movies that I love that maybe never needed a sequel, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh-huh. You know, same thing. Jack Burton, what an incredible hero. A hero who didn't know he wasn't the hero. Right. Didn't do one good thing. <laughs> oh, I know. And I've heard Kurt Russell talk about it and go, you know, that's what was funny. And what the studio did not understand was they knew that Jack Burton was not the hero of the movie, but they shot it as if he was. And that was, you know, that was funny. So, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm looking to to see them more. I, you know, another cleanser I had was I took it. I had to fly uh, out, out to Texas for business and I came back and on the plane I watched two movies that I, I I had sort of wanted to see but they came and went and that's the problem with yeah. theatrical distribution now uh, I saw Mark Maron and Sword of Trust which is an interesting oh, yeah, little yeah. comedy um, and then I saw The Peanut Butter Falcon which was not what I thought it was but it's Shia LaBeouf so it's a tied Indiana Jones 4 uh, Shia LaBeouf who was Amazing. I, you know, I, I think the movie was somewhat predictable. I've heard people raving about it, but Shia LaBeouf, uh, it was an impressive performance. And there's a moment in there, I'm on, I'm on the plane watching this on the little screen, and I'm just kind of like, you know, and then suddenly, he starts crying on screen, and I go, huh, the, the pretzels, the salt got in my eye, you know, <laughs> and I start crying because it was like. It was such a, and, and it's like if the movie had ended there, I'm glad it didn't. But you know, but if it added, I would have gone. Yeah, okay. I mean, that was what this movie was about. Okay, okay. You know, so, I don't know. We have a chance to cleanse a little bit. Let's, I got a weird TV story. Okay. And it's related to comics, because I really enjoy the comics, though they're very weird. Have you ever read The Ice Cream Man from Image? No, I've seen it, but I've not read it. It appears to be a horror anthology, all set in a small town. Right. And then it's something else. And I can't. I don't want to say more, but it still all revolves around this character who is the ice cream man, right? And it's like he's a narrator, a commentator, and an occasional interactive part of the anthology stories. And then it's clear there's something else going on. It's created by a writer named W. Maxwell Prince. Uh, it's been in play for TV adaptation for a while. It is now moving forward. But speaking of Mark Maron. This feels like a Mark Maron routine. It's going to Queeby. 
Do you know what Queeby is? No. You've seen the, I think they were Super Bowl commercials. They're like, the guy's stuck in the quicksand and you have time for it. I think it's short for, right. really, it should be Quibi. It's Quick Bits right. or something. So right, no right. programming will be more than nine minutes long. I think Jeffrey Katzenberg is part of it. Yeah. So, but this is why it feels like a Mark Marin routine. He has something in one of his last specials about, like, you know, I don't know how much time I have left, how many shows I, I, I have time to watch. And it's like, but it's now gotten to the point that not only have I never heard of the show, I've never heard of the platform. Like, you, right. you got to download Clomper. You don't know about Clomper? What the fuck is Clomper? And you're like, and that's how I feel. It's like, I can't pay for another thing. Right. I know I'm going to give in to HBO Max, but I'm still kind of half holding out hope they go... And the money you spent on DC Universe will roll into your membership for HBO Max, and all your DC shows will be there. Right. But, you know, anyway, I, I don't even know what the deal is with Quibi. Quibi? Quibi? Well, every every seven-minute show has a five-minute commercial. That's 12 minutes. And I said the show's no shows more than nine minutes. This isn't going to add up well. Huh. No. Uh, but I do like the comic book. I think the... the, the the trade paperbacks, I read that one in trade too, just because there's just enough of a connection that I kind of like taking, though they're creepy, taking them in a, you know, in a, in a chunk at a time, uh, like a nice chocolate chunk ice cream. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Um, so I love the series. You should look into the series. I, I just have no idea if I'm going to like the TV. If you know. Again, I don't know what the creepy format does to a show. Is it like... Every time we do something like this, I think short attention span theater, by the way, also hosted by Mark Barron on Comedy Central way back then when it was just the Comedy Channel. Um, and I and then I think, but like, Max Headroom's Blipvert, you know, are we just getting so short attention spanned? Well, I mean, people, people like, cruise through YouTube videos all day long. Too. I know. I can't you know? do that. I, I mean, yeah. even as we host some and as I take part in some, you know, I, like I can do two. You're know, right. I mean, yeah, two or three minute thing at a time, yeah. and then, but I, I, mean, I won't spend a day doing it. If you're a commuter on a bus or something, it's perfect. You know, if you're, or you can listen to Big Finish audio dramas. That's what I do through the Big yeah. Finish app. Yeah. Too bad we don't have them as a sponsor. I know. I tried. We got out of California one. I did get retweeted. Or, or at least uh, responded to by Nicholas Briggs for a, t- okay. a tweet out. So that was nice. That's the, that's the director of a lot of the big finish. Did you get uh, – you've gotten Anthony uh, – Adam, Adam, Ant lives? No, I did not. Okay. I listened to the first two episodes of that. Good twist on, on what I knew on the show and okay. a good update, and I really enjoyed them. And I love the theme song. But anyway, we won't sing it here. No. Because we don't have the rights. Uh, so – I somehow had missed this, that the CW is moving away from the superhero shows a little bit. They are looking, they're going to revive Kung Fu. So I think you should be, but with a female lead, they just cast Olivia Lang. When we say Kung Fu, we're talking about the David Carradine The David Carradine series from the 70s, yes, as as Kwai Chang Kane. Kwai Chang Kane, yes. Uh, I think I have a dim memory of watching one episode of that show. I watched every episode. Such oh, I know you did. You you were older. Yeah. You were the you were the guy sending away in the back of comic books to count Dante, the deadliest man alive. You know what ad I'm talking about. I do. You do. I was bigger on buying the catalogs of stuff. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> out of those. Well, items. that's what's scary. Uh, so anyway, 
so I mean, if you're gonna do it, she's playing Nikki Chen. So recasting the okay. and you know I I've heard is it a period piece? I don't think so. I think it's oh. modern day, which I think that they brought him back. Like is it Kane as the descendant of himself, which they often did. You know, they'd done a revival like yeah. in the 80s or 90s. Um, but I think that you know the, the urban legend. I I don't know how much truth there is to this. Was that uh, Kung Fu had been originally designed for Bruce Lee hmm. to play Kane, and then he refused it, and then they could not find any other Asian actors in Hollywood, so they went with David Carradine. You know, sorry, that's the way it was, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm being sarcastic, and you know, yeah, right in SJW, right here. I'm just saying, come on, really. Uh, so anyway, uh, so there it is. It's righted, and uh, we'll see. It's the CW, so. Who knows? But I'll probably give it at least a one or two episode look if it if it goes. It's going to pilot, so we'll see yeah. uh, if it'll be on in in the fall. We have just you know one episode left of of this series slash season, depending on which nation you're in, of Doctor Who. And what a you know for all the criticism that went in the first season, and I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, to me, Doctor Who is like pizza. Even if I'm not enjoying an episode that much. It's still pizza. Yeah. It's still pretty good. I'm yeah. enjoying the pepperoni. Mm. Uh, but uh, it, we're, we're, this season has been, I mean, how many great, mm-hmm. fun episodes in a row. There's only one kind of stinker, but that was... I put it out of my mind. I yeah. know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah. But they are just building, surprise after surprise, building to uh, an amazing se- series finale. And we'll see what happens. So, you know, I think that was funny this year going to Gallifrey One to have current cast members on uh, there, Tosin Cole, yeah. who's having to be really careful about what he says because yes. he knows he can't blow like, what's about to happen. Uh, wait and see. You know, it's like, oh, I, I don't think I've ever ever gone to a Gallifrey One where that was the issue. And even when we've had, when there have been new Who people like from Torchwood, it was long after Torchwood was gone. I can't remember anybody... Any of the actors being guests. They're often creatives. You're right. There's often like but I writers and but PAs. There, there have been actors there, but they've been people whose character has come and gone on the right. show. They're not okay. yeah, current. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I think he I was think that's what I meant. There. I think he's the first time I've seen a current actor yeah, yeah. on there. So uh, so that that's uh, – I'm looking forward to that. Uh, will I sleep this weekend? I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Because I got – I got movie. Hopefully, you'll get me in my hair academia. I'm not saying you have to, but this is the last weekend I have for like right. two or three weeks right. to catch an extra screener outside of Cinequest. So, and there's, there's a thing called a job. So, uh, you know, yes, I do all honor to that. So, um, you know, thank you so much for listening to this, and I hope you enjoyed our interviews with. Once again, let me let me go back. We had uh, Tom Maziotti, uh, the writer director of The Mimic. Jake Robinson, one of the stars of The Mimic, actually he's the titular character, The Mimic, that he's called The Kid. And writer, director, actor Jessica Cameron with her horror film A Bad Place. Both films making their world premiere at Cinequest this year. You can go to cinequest.org and look up showtimes and get your tickets. And we look forward to seeing that. And, hey, if you did go to CineQuest because of you heard about it on Fanboy Planet and you see us, at least once we'll be wearing the official Fanboy Planet uniform. Maybe not at the same time. We might want to spread the wealth out. I I, I don't know. But uh, if you see us, if you know what we look like, and come up and say hi. We'd really appreciate that. And we look forward to meeting Tom, Jake, and Jessica at CineQuest as well. So, 
thank you for listening. I know you have a lot of pop culture choices and you made this one and that, that it means the world to me. So thank you. And once again, uh, you can check out the Amazon links. And if you ha- want to join the conversation, comments, questions, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of Fanboy Planet. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your powers for, for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.